Hi, everybody. Hello. This is a bit strange, a bit weird to be back, eh? Eight months have just gone past, and now we're back together. It is great to see you. Um, this is very, very cool. And we're here on Easter. Um, I'm just going to start by saying a permanent fixture in, in my life so far has been this, my, my face, uh, specifically my young-looking face. Um, now, I've always looked a little bit younger than I am, <clears throat> and um, that, when I was growing up, as you can imagine, was a source of a little bit of angst, because while my friends were getting uh, female attention from age-appropriate prospects, I wasn't really, and so it was a little bit hard in terms of that stage of my life, and so it's kind of carried on, though, with um, people assuming I'm younger, so working at a, a tertiary institution people are often coming up to me and asking me what I'm studying um, rather than what I'm teaching, um, which means I'm just constantly impressing people all the time as like a really accomplished 20-something, supposedly. Um, but life really changed when I could start growing facial hair. It really just changed the ball game because it meant that all of a sudden I was sort of in the right uh, ballpark with uh, sort of my own, how I looked at for my age. Um, but it does mean that if I was to go to a mall, um, and I had shaved my face, I would probably get people coming up to me and be like, you're right, have you lost your mum? That sort of thing would, would probably occur. Um, but I have noticed that life has shifted lately because uh, more, uh, more uh, commonly when I go to purchase things like alcohol, I ex I'm experiencing the insult of not being asked for my ID. Has anyone here experienced that? Yeah, not liking it. And I'm also experiencing that thing where you uh, look in the mirror some days and you're like, man, I look really tired. And then later you're just like, oh, that's actually, that's actually just my face now. Um, so really just coming sort of into contact with my, my mortality. Um, and so because of that, my moisturizing routine has really bumped up. Where I'm trying to get rid of these things. And so actually on Thursday night, I tried for the first time those eye patch things under your eyes. It just said it was for firmness. So I gave that a go. Um, because who am I without my boyish charm? Um, to be honest, I don't want to find out. Um, so my, my struggle here is really with my own mortality. Um, and obviously, I'm in, I'm in a lot of denial and a whole bunch of different practices to try and evade that if I can. Uh, but the, the thing is, one day, these, these bags will keep, continue to form and one day this face will be no more. And that'll be the case for every single person in this room. Happy Easter. Um, now, in similar ways, we're all kind of engaged with things that are sort of preventing us from coming into contact with that mortality part of what it means to be a human. Um, and so I just want to point this out that one day, all of the, our Netflix binging, all of our brunching, all of our trips to the batch, all of our doom scrolling on TikTok, um, and all of our house alterations, they will come to an end. One day, it'll be no more. And here's the thing, life is short and fragile, and we often don't like to go near it. Even now I'm feeling a bit guilty that I'm, I'm giving a bit of doom and gloom today and bringing you down on Resurrection Sunday. But we do like to, not really to go near that. But the message of Easter, in its most simple form, is this. Death actually is the enemy, and the enemy has actually been defeated. Death actually is the enemy, and the enemy actually has been defeated. 
And so we've just read this story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And this passage actually has a lot to say about death and rising, and it kind of operates as a little picture, a little microcosm of what God is going to do with the entire cosmos, with the entire world. So we enter into the story. At the start, Jesus is moving through the ruins of a funeral, and he's meeting up with two sisters, Mary and Martha, And uh, they have just lost their brother, so they are grieving the death of their brother. And so Jesus walks into a place of death. Now, I don't know what the last funeral was that you attended, uh, but for me it was last year where I attended the, the funeral of my niece, who only lived for 40 hours That funeral, <clears throat> amongst others, was contained some of the worst moments of my life, some of the things that, I, that I'll never forget. You never want to see family go through that kind of loss. And as we have navigated that as a, as a family, it's just been a massive learning process um, because it's a kind of special kind of cruelty to, to lose someone like that. But really, that's, that's the nature of all funerals, isn't it? It kind of confronts us with death full stop. It kind of, when it gets to that sort of stage, when we talk about death and we confront it with it in those ways, it's no longer like an intellectual or like a theological exercise primarily. It's deeply existential. It's a deeply human question we begin to ask. We have to really answer the question, can we trust God? God with that which matters most to us. What do we do with that when we have love that has nowhere to go? And last year, I found myself praying things a lot of the time like, you better have done something about death. I better be able to trust you that you've done what you've said you've done about death. But we're all, we're all touched by death. Um, some of us, like me, you've had front row seats to it. Um, we've all suffered loss to varying stages. Some of us have felt the effects of illness, of endings creeping in on us. And for all of us, we've looked around the world over the last couple of years and seen things that have oftentimes been extremely overwhelming, where we've been confronted by all of this, all of this mortality that we see around us. And we know that something is very deeply wrong with the world, actually. Currently, we're very acquainted with tragedy. You know, people all across the world have died alone in hospital beds. We had mass graves in New York, and now we've got mass graves in Ukraine. We're very acquainted with tragedy. But Easter is actually a protest against all of this. And as Jesus walks through the ruins of death in the story, we need to pay attention because it's a picture of a much bigger promise that all of us are caught up in. So he comes into contact with Mary and Martha, um, and they're both in the same predicament as we kind of feel that we are now, kind of asking questions like, what's going on? How do we make sense of all this? And Jesus shows up in this situation, in this place of death, 
and shows us exactly what God is like and exactly how God feels about death and what God is going to do about death. So he sees Martha first, and Martha comes up to him and says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Her trust is stretched to the limit. Her faith is kind of like this messy conglomeration of doubt and confusion in the absence of what looks like God's action. And she's trying to reconcile her faith to the the sense that God's actually kind of let her down. And so Jesus looks at her and tells her the truth, saying that I'm actually the resurrection and the life, and your brother will rise again. And she's kind of like, yeah, I know. I know the intellectual things I need to uh, agree with. I know the theological ideas that everyone will rise again on the last day. And she's trying to still intellectually reconcile that with her experience and hold on tight to those things. But that's not where the story ends. He doesn't just say, this is what's going to happen. Believe the right stuff. The next person he talks to is Mary, the second sister. And through a face full of tears, she looks at him and says the same thing. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And again, this is grief and faith pressed together. But what happens next, I think, is one of the most moving pictures in the entirety of Scripture where again, Jesus is showing us exactly what God is like, how he feels about human pain, what he's going to do about it. It's a microcosm of what his love will do with the entire universe eventually. So in this passage, it says that when he saw her weeping and everybody else around weeping about this death, that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And uh, like a lot of things, this, is a, this English translation is very suburban and palatable, just to not offend our sensibilities. But uh, other translations of deeply moved kind of sound a little bit more like indignant or he was furious. Some translations say uh, Jesus became enraged or bellowed with anger. So Jesus was furious at it. So he was raging and he was angry, but he wasn't angry at the mourners or anyone else there. He was furious at death. He was wrestling with the reality of what it's done to human beings from the beginning and how it will wreak havoc afterwards as well. He's angry about the suffering that it brings upon us and the way that it takes. He's raging against all that we have to endure in the face of death and the decay and the way it steals from the world. So this translation in other ancient texts is the is sort of the phrase they use to describe what horses do as they rise up and roar into battle. So what's happening is Jesus is looking at death and the way that it takes from us constantly and just goes, ah! Feel the rage of God towards all that erodes and wounds us and destroys us. So Jesus didn't just address their pain with truth, but with tears. Jesus wept with them. This is not a a theology of victory. It's not a faith that kind of skirts over our pain. It doesn't minimize what we go through. Jesus rages and weeps. 
He's the source of life. He's the resurrection and the life. But he's raging and crying next to us. He's not explaining or moralizing, but he's experiencing. And so what Jesus does isn't just the ministry of truth, but it's the ministry of tears. But also, it's not just the ministry of tears, it's the ministry of truth, because he doesn't just weep with us and show us how he feels about it. He then goes on to show what's going to happen with death. And him raising Lazarus from the dead is a prelude to what's going to happen with us and the rest of creation. And here's the message that we can cling on to as we look at this empty tomb and the empty tomb of the God-man it points to. All the suffering and loss we've encountered, one day Jesus will make it seem like a bad dream. All of the suffering and loss we've encountered, one day Jesus will make it seem like a bad dream. And that might sound like religious wishful thinking. We're actually quite used to being stoic in the face of pain uh, or distracting ourselves or ignoring things to just kind of carry on. At other times, we actually can let grief overwhelm us and define us. Sometimes we identify with the stuff we've lost or get an identity from it. I know I have. Sometimes we feel like the only response we really have is one of apathy or escapism. But in this story, we see none of this. This isn't a denial of pain, but it's to say that pain and death does not have the last word. Death is the great leveler. We work and we build careers and we have children and we grow relationships and we love hard and we get hurt and we grieve and we love again and we design and we make food and we teach children and we get educated ourselves and we live our lives and they are packed with meaning and hope and all the things that make life worth living. Life cannot be captured in language and the human beings all around you right now so sacred and valuable uh, that to really think it through is actually too overwhelming to be able to hold it in our heads the whole time. We are each other's greatest gift, and life is full of meaning. But one day, it'll all be over. Eventually, death takes everything from us, and you won't be able to hold your loved ones forever. So love eventually means grief. As this enemy, death, seems to have the final word. And so we cry and we rage against death because sometimes it just doesn't seem to let up. And yet in the face of loss, we all still sense deep down that all of this means something. That loving is still worth it. And hope is somehow not irrational. That something lasts and that our continued love for those that have moved on isn't actually in vain we carry on because we human beings sense that there is something more than all these endings and the great news of easter sunday is that yes this rumor is true death has been swallowed up in victory This great enemy has been dealt with. We're not coming to church to be improved. Uh, We're here to be reoriented to this reality. Death has an expiry date. 
And so Christians are people of hope because the resurrection isn't just this ancient story where there's a happy ending for Jesus because he deserved it because he was a real nice guy. It's actually the single biggest event in space-time history, and it changes everything. This is why Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians can say, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We don't have to suppress our pain, but neither do we have to let it overwhelm us. We can feel it all, and we should feel it all, like Jesus, but we can also carry on knowing that none of this goes to waste. So I just want to show you something. I'm going to show you a short video in a second. Um, Last Christmas Day, I was sitting on the couch with my grandparents uh, watching uh, a nice program called The Repair Shop. Has anyone seen that program? A few of us. Okay, okay. Looks like a lot of people haven't seen it. If you don't know, The Repair Shop is basically this this British program where a whole load of nice British people... um, they uh, have this repair shop where they repair lots of really old things in their really nice workshop. It's a really lovely show. It really is a heartwarming thing to do with your grandparents, which is why I was doing it. But uh, on Christmas Day, they showed this particular episode where this woman, whose name was Beryl, brought in her teddy bear. And she had had this bear for pretty much her whole life. And the story goes that... um, One Christmas, when she was really young, her parents gave her this teddy bear, and she loved it. And it was at the start of World War II. So she was given this teddy bear. She didn't let go of it the whole day. And she actually ended up keeping this teddy bear through her whole life. And uh, she had a family of her own eventually, and ended up passing this teddy bear on to one of her sons. Now, in the uh, the year sort of previous to this episode, uh, that son she gave it to, he died. And as the family were going through all of his stuff, they found this bear. And um, as you can imagine, this bear is really valuable to her because now it represents like the war and it represents her parents and it represents her son and in many ways her whole life. So it's an an emblem of meaning for her. It's absolutely packed with meaning. And so I watched this program. She hands it over and then she gets it given back. And as I watch her response to getting this teddy bear back, my, my eyes start to leak. And not just because I'm like that, Uh, but because what I saw in her uh, was a small taster of what the resurrection will mean for all of us at the end. Her reaction to her restored teddy is a small taster for us when we get to receive back those we love and the rest of the world without a hint of decay, where the world is set to rights in a way that we could never have imagined. So I invite you, along with me, to see your response in Beryl's reaction to getting her teddy bear back. How are you feeling? Fine, thanks. Are you all right? Yeah, yeah we're yeah. actually very excited. Yeah, just, I am. Are you? are you ready? Are you ready? Sure? Yeah. <laughs> Get him out for you. Oh. He looks happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's good. I don't believe it. <laughs> uh, did you squeeze him in his tummy?
that's for you. <clears throat> Standing at the end of things saying, I don't believe it. He looks happy. She looks gorgeous. We see hints of this in the picture of Lazarus being received back by Mary and Martha. We get to receive people back. We see something being restored to its intended state, like the cosmos itself. And if we're to take the New Testament's word on this, this will be beyond like anything we've seen in reality so far, kind of like comparing the seed to the tree that it will one day become. And so Lazarus points to this final resurrection that we are celebrating today. The God-man walks out of the grave and has promised that he's our way out too. It means that right now, we're kind of in the midst of our own repair shop. The Spirit is bringing elements of newness now, and eternal things are beginning in us now. Our lives are the site of new creation now. And in a world of confusion and chaos and, quite frankly, a profound loss of hope, we can be a non-anxious presence in the midst of all of it, already living in the not yet of the future. So this is the hope that we are here this morning to proclaim to each other. He is risen indeed. Part of the ending has already happened. We've had a sneak peek at the finale of the story. One day, everything will be made right. No more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, no more death. We are people of this hope. Who gets the last say? It's not a diagnosis. It's not dictators. It's not death. But it's God's word in the flesh. Do we dare believe it? Do we dare throw our, our hopes and ourselves on him? Do we really have another choice? Maybe today you're in a crisis of hope. You might feel a little bit dead in the water, like the last two years have, have really emptied you of faith and hope. You might want to believe, but you've kind of run out of steam. Maybe you're in the midst of grief. I know some people in our community have lost people really recently. Maybe you're feeling the effects of endings in your life. Maybe you feel like you've got nothing but despair, like no matter what way you look at the future, it all just looks kind of bleak. Maybe you've seen the death of relationships or hopes and dreams that you thought were yours. Easter is a protest against all of that. that it's a declaration that God's love is actually bigger than death and that the story's ending is a good one and death doesn't win and that we are actually racing towards risenness. So at the end of the service, we would love to have the opportunity to pray for people who do feel like that or if you just want prayer in general. We would like to pray that the Spirit would breathe this very living hope into all of us to animate the present. Because we want to get to a point where we don't just intellectually believe this or say we give the thumbs up and tick the box on the right theological ideas. We want to get to a point where we throw our hopes on to Jesus and what he has done in the resurrection. So let me just pray and then I'll invite you up. 
God, this is such a big claim that we are making. Let us not forget the alien nature of saying that death has an expiry date. And we want to thank you that you have made a way out, that nothing is wasted, that love endures, and that you have the final word. Let us be people of protest against death and decay now. May our hope speak to the world around us, and may this hope continue to be contagious. God, would you make new streams of hope appear in all of us and give us fresh faith to grip onto this reality that you have done something incredibly new in the old. Thank you for this hope. May we be truly Easter people, knowing that grief does not overwhelm us, Lord. Amen.